Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. More than 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. And knowing we can rely on regular monthly gifts takes some guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you are invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. But what is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia with the gospel. To become a Visionary Extra Mile partner, click the banner in the Vision app or go to vision.org.au slash extra mile. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Are there any of you in the room still hiding? Can I tell you someone who walked across the universe for you? Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. You might be hiding from God because you don't feel worthy of love and forgiveness. Our message, Hide and Seek, reminds us Jesus is seeking you to follow him. And part of seeking him is seeking others that need him. Pastor Jeff uses Matthew and the party he threw for all his friends, old and new, as an example for us. There are incidental Matthew parties happening all the time. But instead of walking across the room, when we go to these kind of functions, we tend to locate other Christians and separate ourselves over in the corner. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we continue our message, Hide and Seek. Can we go back and grab that story I told you at the beginning? Because here's what I've learned in my life in ministry. There are lights flashing all around us. There are the lives of those at work and at school, on the sporting fields, even at church, who are going down, fading into the abyss. And their distress calls are often misinterpreted. Their anger and their stress and their frustration and their agitated demeanor and their arrogance and pride and unhealthy drive to conquer everything, those are nothing less than screams of insecurity and hopelessness. They're trying to grab a lifesaver as they continue to sink deeper and deeper into anxiety and depression at the realization that it's all going to end one day soon. It's all arrogance, but it's a cover-up for insecurity because the soul is desperate for meaning and hope to attach to something that's eternal. Unfortunately, as they send out the distress signals, you and I are dozing off, asleep on the job, when we should be attentive and praying for and looking for opportunities to say, come follow me. In the latest Barna Research Group survey, here's what they discovered. Less than 33% of all Christians actively share their stories of faith and hope in Christ. That's one-third. However, in the same survey, they learned that more than 79% of the unchurched people said they would engage in faith conversations if asked. How is it that there can be such a gap? Millennials, I get to brag on you. I'm going to brag on you because it's my generation letting you down. Millennials want the real thing or nothing. They want, give me the real thing or nothing. 
And when you have the real thing, guess what happens? There's a cause and effect. Let me give you an example in Acts 4. They called the disciples in, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? Listen to you or listen to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about the things we've seen and heard. See, when you've truly been transformed, you can't help but to speak about the transformation that's occurred in your life. Unfortunately, for we non-millennials, here's what we think. Here's what we've been taught to think. Just live a good life and that'll be enough. Let me read the quote. If we just live good enough lives, we can forgo the conversation entirely. We don't need to talk about Jesus. We just be good people. And people around us will almost magically come to know Jesus through our good actions and selfless character. Does anybody see the obvious problem? You're not that good. (laughs) You're not good. People from other religions may even be better than you. Atheists may be morally better than some of you. So you may live a a good life, but if you don't explain why, they'll kind of grab you in and lump you in with everybody else. This style, the Barna Report says, of evangelism is becoming more and more prevalent in a culture constantly looking for a fast track and simple fix. In other words, it doesn't cost me anything. I live a good life. I'm good. The gospel is a gospel of words and actions. It is a story of history, his story, and your story and how they intersect. Can I say that again? The gospel is a story of his story, history, and my story and how they intersect. And in Matthew 9, 13, later on in the same passage, Jesus says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I love the Greek word for call. There is a real estate sign and it's called kaleo real estate. That's a Greek word. And it means to call and gather and to speak. So all in that one word means it assumes that Jesus came to call and to speak and together. Unfortunately, here's what happens in our world today. We call people near and then isolate away. Now, I don't want to beat you up here. I told you we're all guilty here, but let me tell you what has to change. There are incidental Matthew parties happening all the time in the office, school, kids' soccer games, at the restaurant, at the cafes that we frequent, college dormitories. But instead of walking across the room, when we go to these kind of functions, we tend to locate other Christians and separate ourselves over in the corner. Holy huddles, they're called. (laughs) Jesus looks down from heaven and says, dude, what are you doing? This is a divine appointment. I think Matthew's up there with him and he says, what are you doing? Did you not read about my Matthew party? Just walk across the room. Hey, do you know who was really good at this? Jesus. You say, well, yeah, he's good at everything. But his style of evangelism is often overlooked. Yeah, he preached to the masses, but his great success stories were one-on-one. The woman at the well, John 4, the disciples have been teaching and walking and teaching and walking and teaching and walking. They get hungry. They get thirsty. They come to a famous well and they, they want some water, but the disciples also want to go into town and buy some food. So they say to Jesus, Jesus, let's go into town and buy some food to go with this yummy water. And Jesus says, what? You guys go ahead. Pick me up some Chick-fil-A, wheat bun, extra pickle. I'll just stay right here. And a Samaritan woman comes out to get water and Jesus walks across the room. He just engages her in conversation about life and truth and relationships. She brings up politics and religion, not Jesus. And then it gets personal 
life and death, and she notices something unique about Jesus. And what really compels her was not that Jesus did any kind of miracle, but what compelled her was his words. John 4, let me read it to you. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. Okay, that's somewhat miraculous. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have a herd for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She believes, and then what happens? She drags half the town to a well party. Let me just mix all these people together with this Jesus dude. Good things are going to happen. And she says, come listen to the dude who talked to me and listened to me and engaged me in conversation with truth and compassion. My favorite story, my favorite story of Jesus' method of evangelism is Zacchaeus. I've always loved it. I love this story. By the way, just so you know, you know, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but at least he was in the high rent district. I mean, you know, poor Matthew was at a toll booth. Zacchaeus. This is during the time of Jesus' ministries days winding down. In just a few days, Jesus is going to face the cross. And these same people right now that are saying, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're going to be yelling, crucify him in a matter of days. And Jesus knows this. And all of this weighs heavy on his shoulders. He knows what's await, what is awaiting him because he's, he's seen probably thousands of crucifixions. And he knows there's so much to be accomplished in a short amount of time. And we're talking, I mean, what are you doing in your life that is more important than the salvation of the world? And so he's kind of busy right now. You could excuse Jesus for saying, Peter, deal with that kiss, would you? I got a lot on my plate right now. Matthew, you're a tax collector. You speak his language. Go over and get Zacchaeus out of that tree. Take him to the house, to your home, have a meal with him and tell him about me. Because I'm kind of busy right now. I'm dying for the sins of the world. But that's not the way Jesus worked. Even when Jesus was suffering and dying, he still walked across the room because there was a thief on a cross right beside him that had the audacity to interrupt Jesus' suffering <laughs> with a request. Hey, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now, if there's ever a time when Jesus had the right to be selfish, man, it's now. Part of us could understand Jesus would have said, excuse me, I'm dying here. Can I just have this one moment to myself? I got the sins of the world on my shoulders. Do you mind? Can I just have one moment's peace? I've given you people everything. <laughs> Instead, he looks at him with compassion. He starts to be more concerned about him than himself. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's amazing to me. I mean, seriously. Jesus, feeling the venomous hate of his persecutors, bearing the punishment of all who would believe in him throughout the ages, at that very same moment was aware and available to one sinner who was trying to come home. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Our message, Hide and Seek, is a wonderful reminder that Jesus came to save the lost, those of us in hiding. Like he did for the Samaritan woman at the well, for despised tax collectors Matthew and Zacchaeus, Jesus sees us as we are and asks us to humbly turn and follow him anyway. Here's Pastor Jeff with more. Do you know the conviction I've had in my own life this week? You know, isn't it amazing? We are so busy in the West. And if you notice, the more wealthy and more the, the more wealthy we become, the more busy we become, and the more busy we become, the less people come to Jesus. It's because there are no more Matthew parties. We don't have time for that. 
I think one of the best examples of this, and I know I've used it before, it's my favorite, is the game of hide and seek. Hide and seek is a simple game, isn't it? The one who hides is in control, right? You get to hide wherever you want. You get to keep your eyes open and you get to choose where you're going to go and what you're going to do and where you're going to hide. And you can shift from one place to another to avoid the guy who's trying to catch you. Now, when I was a little boy, I was so skinny. I mean, you got no idea. I was so skinny. I could hide under the kitchen sink until one day I discovered that so could a lot of other things like mice and spiders and garden snakes and the day I found maggots. Nevertheless, hiding is usually the easier job, right? What's the harder job in hide and seek? The seeker. He or she places himself or herself in a humble position. They continually seek for those whose mission it is to evade them, right? And every time the seeker gets close, they can move farther away. So the worst thing about the game is the seeker gets no title of recognition. In other games, the pivotal player gets a high-profile name. In basketball, the center. Baseball, the pitcher or the catcher. Hockey, the goalkeeper. But in hide-and-seek, you're it. (laughs) And other than your cousin on the Adams family, that's no recognition. (laughs) Jesus knew the rule of the universe. God is it. The world is hiding And the fisherman's role is to come out and say, Ali, Ali, oxen free, which comes all the way back from the second century. And it's our way of confusing what it's really supposed to say, all ye out come in free. And over the years, it just changed. All ye out come in free, Ali, Ali, oxen free. You can come home now. It's okay. You're safe. You'll not get hurt or penalized. Stop hiding. Come home. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter where you've been. Just turn around and head back home. And all through the Bible, Jesus wants us to know that his fishermen will understand that people hide for different reasons and you'll never know what it's going to be. But they all want to be somewhere where it's safe again. They hide because of tragedy. They think God's abandoned them for some difficulty that they've gone through. They hide because of shame, something that they did before. They think that there's no way Jesus can forgive them. They think that they've made some life choices that prevent them from coming out of hiding. So there's no way. The last thing they want to do is be around Christians. It's just one more place. They don't measure up. And some people hide because of fear, fear that they will be rejected. People hide for reasons, but here's the truth. This is what I want to share with you this weekend. Please, you don't think it. You don't know it because there's a lie the evil one tells you. But people really want to be found. They really do. You know, one time when we were playing hide and seek, I got stuck under the kitchen sink. I I managed to to, to squeeze myself back in the back right-hand corner and the pipe of the, uh, the kitchen sink had pressed me and then I couldn't get my legs and knees and I was just stuck. I, I couldn't do anything. I was stuck, but I was proud. <laughs> because no one could find me. My brothers opened up the kitchen door many times, but they couldn't see me. I mean, I was hiding good, but I couldn't do anything about it. And I was trying to say, well, how long do I stay here? And my dad got concerned. It was a Saturday. So he came searching for me and he found me and he helped me get out. It took a while. I could finally breathe again. I was free again, but here's the point. I can't make it out of hiding on my own. I have to be sought. I got to be loved in Jesus name. Even when you see the ugliness that I try to hide, even when it's my own fault that I'm in this mess. 
Do you remember how Jesus handled Zacchaeus? That's why it's one of my favorite stories. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, clean up your life, change your job, pay back what you stole, and I'll come to your house. If you do all those things and stop hiding and tell everybody what your real problem is, then I'll come visit you. No. Without hesitating, Jesus insists upon befriending Zacchaeus first before Zacchaeus gets respectable. And what happened in the story? The religious people grumbled. They always do. They couldn't believe Jesus is going to hang out with the scum of the earth. Even in Matthew 9, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus responds to his fishermen, you don't get it, man. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. Wake up, man. I've come to seek and save the lost. And when I see Jesus, the Lord of the universe, so aware of people who are hiding, man, it just pumps me up to know that living inside me and you as a Savior who wants to rescue hiding people, and he's given us the only message that is effective in rescuing those who truly want to be found. I know some people don't want to be found. I know there are some people that are just so angry. But we just saw where two-thirds of the people who were asked if they would engage in a conversation about God said they would. So can I tell you something as we move into this season of the life of our church? Man, we are so healthy. We're the healthiest we've ever been here. I don't think I ever remember being this excited. A church where people invite coworkers out for coffee, where a guy buys two Dodger tickets, one for himself and one for the guy he's going to take for conversation. Where small groups, it's my dream, where small groups would say, hey, let's stop these holy huddles and once a month, let's invite everybody from the neighborhood for a barbecue. But they might bring beer. They might use foul language. Yeah, they probably will. They probably will. It's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick. There's no agenda other than to relate. Man, what would happen? What would happen? My dream church gets so creative with this that high-tech people began to create new ways to reach out to their friends. (laughs) Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and whatever else there is that I don't know about. But can I give you a warning that we find automatically in the text? Be careful who you invite. No truth vigilantes, no bounty hunters, no overzealous types, just normal, relationally, and emotionally intelligent people who will just talk to others about life. Now, let me, let me finish this. This walking across the room thing is so powerful and effective. Do you know how many lives have been transformed this way? Did I ever tell you about a woman I know who was militant about abortion? I mean, militant. She had become pregnant with her third child, did not want the pregnancy to continue. She was livid that she could not get an abortion in the state of Texas, so she filed a lawsuit against her home state saying that preventing her from having an abortion was unconstitutional. She said that she wanted to terminate the pregnancy by an abortion performed by a competent, licensed physician under safe clinical conditions, and if she was denied that right, she said it would be a violation of her personal privacy. In 1992, she began working with abortion clinics even though later admitting that she really didn't realize this process actually ended a human life. She had been led to believe that it was nothing more than a chemical flushing out of the system. In the end, she decided not to have an abortion, but gave her child up for adoption. In the late 90s, pro-life organizations moved in to the same building as the abortion clinic, and she began having encounters at the coffee shop for lunch with 
pro-lifers. And these pro-lifers began walking across the room to talk to this lady whose name was Norma. And they talked about a number of things. The story's amazing. Life and love and happiness and meaning and day-to-day struggles, everything really. And the pro-lifers were never condemning or judgmental concerning Norma. Instead, just carefully listened to her struggles and concerns and then carefully explained to her what abortion really was and how it's carried out. And Norma was shocked. She was greatly impacted by the love and the care of these pro-lifers. And when invited to meet their savior, Jesus, who was a friend to all sinners and compassionate to the brokenhearted, and that nobody was without sin, Norma jumped in. She left her post and ran to Jesus. And Norma became a Christian through these relationships and for the rest of her life worked hard to overturn the famous or infamous Roe versus Wade verdict. By the way, Norma's full name is Norma McCorvey, and you may know her as Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade. And she is just as surprised as you are that her attorneys used her situation as a means to their end, legalizing abortion. When you and I stop walking across the room, it's lights out on the kingdom of God coming into the lives of those around us. Lights out. We are plan A and there's no plan B. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We change the world one life at a time, one Matthew party at a time, One conversation at a time. Now, here's the first question, and they come quickly. You only have two. One, when's your next Matthew party? I mean, come on, this is not hard. Just put some food on the table. Invite your friends from your old life and your new life and just let things happen. I know you have your holy huddles, and holy huddles can be good. You need time. You need me spiritual time. I got that. But man, when's your next Matthew party? This is not a bait and switch party. It's not invite everybody out and then hit them with a cell. No, this is just life. Life. Second question. Are there any of you in the room still hiding? Can I tell you someone who walked across the universe for you? Man, he didn't walk across the room. He walked across the universe. He gets the prize for coming the farthest to Matthew's party. Only it's his party. And the Bible says in Philippians, he was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And the reason Jesus came so far and left his ultimate circle of comfort and took this very long walk across the universe, across the cosmos, the reason he did that is to stretch out his hands for people who are smack dab in the middle of making a mess out of their lives and saying, At the top of his lungs, ollie, ollie, oxen free. Come on home now. Stop hiding. Come on home. I pray that if you're in the room right now and sound of my voice that you would plan your next Matthew party as Rick and I are going to do. He doesn't know it yet, but we're going to. (laughs) And he'll hold me accountable for that. So, you you know, a couple of Saturdays, you can go up to him. Hey, Jeff Bynes said, did he do that? And second, if you're hiding still, when are you going to understand that there's nothing that you've done? Nothing that you've done to keep you out of God's kingdom because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus. If you're at the very bottom of the bottom of the spiritual barrel, it just means you're a little closer to coming out of hiding. And it means that God will reach even deeper and deeper and deeper still until you realize 
It's time to come home. And if you want that joy that is centralized, there's only one way you're going to find it. Through Jesus who walked across the universe so you could find it in hopes that you would walk across the room that others may find it as well. Father, I thank you and praise you for the truth of your word and how it just opens our eyes to what you've done for us. And I pray in Christ's name that we would be extra motivated, that maybe for the first time this would dawn on us that it's not about going out to the street corner and yelling something in the name of Jesus, although we acknowledge there are some people who have that gift as well. We acknowledge that. But in this place, in this time, the calling on our lives for most of us is just bring our old friends together with our new friends and our new friends walk across the room to share the good news of the gospel. And as we do life together, as we answer the questions of those who are searching, that there will be people far from God come near. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Well, that's the end of Hide and Seek. May we continue to seek Jesus first and to come close to those that are dear to Him, those lost and in hiding. Join us again next time for a new message from Pastor Jeff. Today with Jeff Bynes, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.